Welcome back to episode two of season three of Overtly Critical. I'm Ryan. And I'm Corwin. And this week we watched something that was actually from the 1980s, not about the 1980s. That's true. We watched Terminator, or rather The Terminator, directed by James Cameron from 1984, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the yeah. former governor of California. <laughs> Which is, I think, hilarious that he was the governor of California. Was that before? The, no, that was after this movie. Oh, that was after the okay, movie, okay. definitely. Okay. Well, that is interesting. And I'm wearing a shirt from another movie from 1984. And I'm wearing uh, good old stagehand black. We really shouldn't be wearing black considering <laughs> Probably this not, set. but you know what? I think it looks classy. Well, Anyways, let's get into it. Um, why don't you start us off with your initial thoughts on Terminator? Terminator is a f- absolutely thrilling blend of action, science fiction, and a little bit of horror. It's got f- this fantastic building feeling of tension that they establish literally from the first shot of the movie with the, you know, the machines coming in, the skulls and the explosions. And that builds all the way up to the um, final almost slasher-like ending of the movie. The movie is sometimes held back, I think, by the technical limitations of both the time period and the budget. This movie was only shot for, I think, 6.4 million. Nowadays, about 50 million. But the movie is very much aware of its limitations and doesn't try to exceed its own grasp. And I think that's what really makes this a timeless piece of 80s sci-fi. Although I don't want to, you know, constrain it to that time period by saying it's not good anymore. This is well worth a watch. I know a lot of people say T2 is a better film, but I have not seen it. But I would love to now because I was really blown away by this film. Terminator didn't get me on the first watching. I think the second time I really enjoyed it better. But overall, um, I think Terminator, like any good sci-fi, it really plays on and exaggerates the fear of its time period. In this case being computer technology, something in the 80s. Um, right? The story is about sort of a computer apocalypse, like the worst nightmare you could imagine. Um, and another film at the time, like War Games, did something similar. Um, so it kind of brings it, in like any good sci-fi, it kind of brings that fear to its logical conclusion, which is this crazy apocalypse. But I think it doesn't fall into the pitfall that some sci-fi does, where it's be- the plot is dragged back by so much exposition and uh, so much world building. Because this is a pretty small scale movie, kind of like talk about budget constraints, considering it is about a robot apocalypse, um, it's just a character driven movie. And it feels contained in small scale, despite um, it being about these bigger issues. Um, and that's one of the things that I really respected about the movie. You know, I will say, uh, to build off that, not to get too bogged down in the intro section of uh, the show here, that I think that's what really makes a good story is when you have these very personal components in a small-scale story. The the reach of the story expands beyond the horizon of its own narratives, and that's what makes, like, a modern myth really good. It's not, the movie isn't about the robot apocalypse. It's about how these people are affected by it. Just, I think you would credit. The movie is about the Terminator, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who goes back in time to kill Sarah Connor, whose son is going to, in the future, be the leader of the human uprising. And even though the Terminator also has gone back in time, a human character, Kyle Reese, um, is also sent back in time to protect her from the Terminator. The entire first act is mostly pretty quiet there's not a lot of dialogue and there's very little exposition but they do this great job with the sort of macro editing i'm going to say like scene to scene editing rather than shot to shot of setting up the character of kyle reese 
of Sarah Connor and even of the Terminator. And what I really love is just the 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 the, the difference between Reese's character and the Terminator in how they enter the world because they both sort of like almost like spawn into the world like friggin' Minecraft realm or something and the Terminator's there and he's like glistening in the moonlight and there's smoke around him and he's rising like a like a machine because he is one he's surrounded by this big mechanical machine as well when he's there and you mentioned the low angle yeah. shots too that are kind of prevalent a lot of scene. low angle shots and then we get to Kyle Reese and he is like cold he's shivering he's sickly he's in a back alleyway it's dirty there's a homeless man who he steals pants from he's running from the cops and the, for the entire first act, they cut between how each of these characters, like, gearing up. Kyle Reese, like, has to steal a shotgun from a cop, saws off the stock, and the Terminator just goes to a gun store, takes a bunch of guns, kills the owner. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I had mentioned uh, is that I, I said even in some smaller behaviors, like, when they both go to the phone book to find Sarah Connor, Reese just rips out the page in the book. And, you know, we had talked about Arnold probably just looked at it and was probably able to just memorize it. So it's even like little details of how they do things slightly differently, mm. um, which is really helps what you're talking about. They were both naked. That's right, Dan. We do get to see Arnold Schwarzenegger's butt, and actually, um, age restriction warning, his penis. We do get to see it. It's just the outline. It's a big deal for all you uh, you fans of, uh, of, uh, of Arnie there. I like how the lights just softly kiss the... Anyway, uh, <laughs> I need to use that word kiss. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, speaking of lighting, though. Oh, my God. Me and, you, yeah. me and you both picked up on something. Not only did I just write lots of blue, but you had mentioned it's like kind of noirish. And oh, I really yeah. like that observation because I kind of felt like it was almost for a lot of the movie. It's very like bicolor. It's like blue and black almost, um, which I really liked. It's got very strong rim lights, kickers, backlighting, a lot of window patterns, a lot of soft light too, but quite a bit of hard light. And it is definitely a neo-noir look, which I didn't pick up on my first viewing, but the second viewing, it was almost all I was paying attention to, sort of related to lighting. Very few camera moves throughout this movie that are not like pans or tilts or freehand. Yeah. There's very, I cannot think of many shots that actually were true dolly shots or true jib shots um, or steady cam use. And I mean, obviously that's a limitation of the budget, but where they choose to move the camera for any reason, it is absolutely motivated by the story. Right. I, I, I think, and I think this is more editing, but I also feel like I noticed with Arnold, there was um, a lot less camera movement or it was slower. And that probably has to do with how he moves as a character, too, which I think is important. Um, and I guess another thing while we're talking about the kind of first act and some of the basic observations, I really like the casting. I specifically like that they cast Arnold because he's foreign, so his English isn't the best anyway. So he kind of sounds like a robot a little bit. It kind of works. I think that's a little racist. Right? Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's just smart casting. <laughs> Fuck Fair you, enough. asshole. <laughs> It works. Um, there are no bad performances in this movie, um, but I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Sarah Connors, played by... Linda Hamilton. She does a great job of playing a completely relatable character and a great point-of-view character. Someone who we totally understand is uncomfortable in the situation, is totally ripped out of her ordinary routine, 
but is someone who jumps right onto it and takes control where she has to by the end of the movie is the one making the calls and making the decisions and i know you talked about like this is great like writing for her character like foreshadowing right so one of the things i want to get back to one little thing too when we watch this movie alex who was watching with us had mentioned like James Cameron and like writing women and stuff like that. And one of the things I thought a lot about on my second viewing is like the entire movie, she's like, she's chased by men. She's held by men. Like even Reese, she doesn't trust Reese at first. I mean, who would? Um, So that, that's an interesting thing too. Um, And yeah, I really like the idea that because this is a time travel movie. And again, this could probably apply to a bunch of them. um, I like the idea that it's a lot about fate. And so Reese comes back and he's telling Sarah and the audience at the same time, because she's our perspective, about who she is in the future. Um, And, you know, in a lot of heroes' journeys, it's different because we don't know the end goal. But in this case, we know where she's going to be or who she's going to become. So it feels almost a lot more satisfying for the audience, I feel like. Because as the movie continues, we start to see her, oh, she has a first aid kit, and she's, like, healing him. And then at the ending, she's like, get up, soldier. And it's like we're, we're almost watching her become that, and it's a lot more satisfying uh, that we know who she's going to become. Absolutely. I love you, so that is a jumping-off point to talk a little bit about world-building and more of the science fiction elements of this film. Uh, to start, something I love about this movie is the fact that the robots in the future, like the Skynet robots are not humanoid, with the exception of the infiltration terminators like Arnold and the guy we see in the um, flashback scene, or is it a flash forward because it's future, um, with Reese and the like underground resistance. I like that the machines are like these big monstrosities of metal rolling over human skulls or flying above people like raptors yeah. rather than just, we're human-looking skeleton machines. Um, because a lot of older sci-fi and i think some newer sci-fi too has this need to like make humans look look make robots look like humans when why the hell would a robot design itself with the limitations of a human if it didn't have to right i mean we also get the idea shush up in the with that like match cut with that fucking whatever it was like bulldozer i don't even remember what it was oh my god yeah i like that cut i think that almost kind of makes sense in another way where it would kind of make sense that robots if they were if this were to happen they would just take the form of machines that exist um so i think that definitely makes sense especially because this isn't a million years in the future what is it like 2049 or something like that yeah we're coming up on it folks 2029 right so it's 10 years uh, after blade runner burn your toasters uh, blow up your monitors. The uh, Skynet's coming. Um, I do, though, jokes aside, want to talk about that scene. Um, I wrote down, it's like silent character building PTSD for Reese, where he's just sitting in the car and he's looking at the machine, and then we cut very smooth. It's a very smooth transition to me. I almost didn't, when I first saw it, wasn't sure when the cut happened, to the giant death machine rolling over human skulls. And we see him struggling to fight them, mm. and he's freaking out. And that right there gives us so much, not only a great view into his character and his past trauma, but also the future that he's trying to fight against. I like that we never see, again, because I mentioned they're not super focused on this is the world and this is the future. We never really see wide shots of the world unless it's to scale the characters, unless it's like scale Reese in a shot. Like, they never just dedicate... A whole scene to like this is what the future looks like and especially in that scene every time we're going back we're always grounded in reese being there which i really like that too 
not not to shit all over this movie, but one part of the movie that I felt was a little weaker, and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about as a whole, um, sort of as a preface, a trope that I can't stand in movies, and I see it a lot in 80s movies, is the fantasy sci-fi character setting thrown into the ordinary world. A lot of movies did this in the 80s. Um, this movie kind of, um, the He-Man movie did this. There, there are more. I can't think of them off the top of my head. I don't have a list here. But I normally hate that because I think you take such interesting concepts and then you just throw it, you, you try and water it down with like a fish-out-of-water story. This movie pretty much avoids that just because of how well it's made. But I do think the movie kind of comes to a little bit of a slowdown when we get like the scenes with Sarah Connor in her apartment and Ginger who is pretty much just a character who gets killed off like a slutty girl in a horror movie. That's not me shitting on female characters. That's me referencing common language from horror movies, I just want to say. I mean, that could be their attempt to try to make it that genre, too. Fair point. But I, I, I get what you're saying. I think the, at the most, all that really does is it kind of helps establish the routine of our main character before it's interrupted by the outside force that is the Terminator and Reese. Right. But I feel like there was a way to do it that gave more commentary to the story that would have tied in more to like these greater themes of like machines and the future and fate. Like we do get that one little scene where we see her mom has been murdered by the Terminator that, and he like impersonates her voice. And I would have loved to see more scenes with the mom maybe instead of just, like, this basically throwaway character of Ginger. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'd like to say, not not to keep shitting on the movie, but you had also made a good point about um, John Connor's, like, message that he sent to his oh, mom yeah. and how that could have been done much better. Give your take on that. It's just a little bit of lame writing. In the scene under the overpass or whatever it is, the bridge, after they escape the police station. With the soft sunlight. Um, and she's kind of like, you know, wanting to refuse, like, this call to action. And um, Kyle gives John's message. It, it's really a nitpick. I don't want to get too much into it. But it's just a, you couldn't have maybe written in something where he, like, shares a memory that she hasn't had yet or something. Right. That, like, you know, really grabs her heart and her, her emotions rather than just, like, you must be strong for the years to come. It's... It's not the best writing. Yeah. Um, but well, one thing I do want to say about these nitpicked scenes is that they don't overstay their welcome and they don't drag the film down as a whole. If they were longer, then they absolutely would. But this movie is very efficient with its time. There's a couple uh, things I want to talk about, and then I want to move into editing. A um, couple things about the Terminator that I really like, like the character itself. Um, I like the idea, and this is just a, a movie thing in general, like evolving wardrobe, like the character starts looking different as the movie goes on, like as their journey beats them down. In Arnold's case, it's really cool because he starts, you would just see him as a human, and by the end, he slowly becomes less and less human. His parts start, his eyebrows burn off, his eye comes out, um, and then at the end, he's it's almost like this, kind of like this creature feature sort of thing almost. Um, I really like that, and especially in the ending, how it's sort of like, uh, when he, they're in that factory, it's almost like his environment. He, his environment kind of helps him. I'm trying to think of a better way to word that. Um, he blends in with his environment. I like to think of it as from almost like this meta perspective of 
Reese and Sarah enter the heart of the machine. They are at their weakest moment. They are totally in his environment, and they have to use it to fight back. They have to take power over the machines, because that's how she ends up killing him, is not with the bombs that they make, but with the machines that are already mm-hmm. built. She crushes him. I also love that they're both crawling to the finish line almost. Right. They're on. They're brought down to the same level, and she still triumphs over the machine. Right. She it's, gets her legs great. stabbed. He gets his legs blown off. Um, I really like, too, about the Terminator character, like, they don't go because you could easily go too far with like, oh, this thing is invincible, and there there are more twists, and it's not dead, and it's not dead. I think mm-hmm. they do that the right amount of times. Because as as I said at the end, when like the hand is on her after she's um, like crushed it, there's a moment where like I almost didn't know if it was dead or not, and I think that's to the credit of the movie where it's like you just expect this thing to keep coming back, but it's good that they ended it at some point. I like that they don't make the Terminator feel unstoppable well he feels unstoppable but not invincible it's not impossible to beat there there are ways to delay him like when he gets shot it knocks him over for a bit he gets hit by cars he has to stop and like kind of fix his arm up his leg gets fucked up fix his eye yeah from the truck right um they set they set the bastard on fire and he's crawling back but they do blow him up It, it it definitely establishes that you can beat it but this is something so beyond where it's so beyond the means we have to fight it Right. This is something that I brought up that you really wanted me to expand on that we could talk about. Um, Again, a lot of times when we do this, I'm making general observations that I could see in a million other movies, but this is what we're talking about. Um, The scene about when Reese is talking to her about the future and he has, like, the little barcode. And I just had a thought. I was like, it's crazy. And, you know, we've even discussed this with, like, 9-11, too, like how World War II and the Nazis, like, totally changed how we view fictional villains and Mm. evil in fiction. Um, that that's always kind of interesting to me. It's like, oh, look, I have barcodes. I'm like, it's it's so crazy how the real world impacts this kind yeah. of stuff. The very clear Holocaust um, influences. Through us in camps. It's like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. Life imitates art and vice versa. There, there's a very deep conversation we had about that that doesn't fully fit within this film and that we could probably make an entire 40-minute episode oh, yeah. just talking about. But it is a great observation. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I also, like, kind of question, too. I don't know if this is not a full thought yet, but maybe you had something to play off of it. Um, It's interesting to me that the 1980s was so into films about, like, corrupt governments and corporations and things like that, whereas, like, the 70s... These are general statements. I feel like the 70s had less sci-fi and had more films like Taxi Driver and things like that that were less escapist. Um, Because I feel like a lot of what the 1980s... is to me is sort of this almost like a gilded age as well where it's like everything looked really happy on the surface and i really like the idea that the films are kind of like that too like oh it's terminator it's just some escapist action movie but it's actually saying something about a corrupt corporation and a corrupt government i really like that idea um because that's what the 80s feels like to me and it's interesting that that's the art that kind of came out of the time period i'd say my thoughts on that are i think that you're kind of hitting on something here with your observation that in time periods that are more um, more noticeably shitty, like a lot of the 70s, um, people tend to examine it more realistically in their art, whereas in time periods that are less noticeably horrible, like the 80s, you get a lot more speculative, speculative fiction 
as escapism. And it, and this is something that I also said about this. It wasn't until like the 2000s, like American Psycho, where we could actually look at the 1980s mm. objectively, which I find then really interesting. That's a total aside, though, that I just thought about. I think that your observation about the the fear of technology mm. and the fear of corporations, all of that's very downplayed in this movie. Yeah, I, I know. It, it reveals these greater fears that a lot of people were having in the 80s. And that's really is the role of speculative fiction. It's to explore the fears and the desires and the beliefs of our own time and sort of put them in a different context to make them more approachable. Because I've said this, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show, but I've told you before mm. that it's very hard to get people to examine their own beliefs and their own time period without prejudices. So if you basically put in a world that is like ours, but not wholly like ours, and mm. it's a bit different, distant from ours, you can get people to pay more attention to it. Right. All right, that's enough of our conversation. We'll get Dan here in the middle, and we'll discuss the audio of the film. I'll, I'll be, be back. back. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the audio section, where I keep wondering how films make audio so good why these two always question it, and why does my forehead keep getting bigger? <laughs> let's find out and talk about this film for a bit. So let's talk about some of these future scenes with the movie. Um, personally, I love movies that dive into the future like this, uh, except for one, Blade Runner. Um, so you can fuck right off, Dan. Blade Runner is a fantastic <laughs> movie, and I'm sick of this fucking slander to a goddamn piece of art. Anyways... Back to the movie. I'm so sorry that I don't remember Fire Pillars in 2019. Unlike that movie, this movie I think correctly predicted a future that I wouldn't personally want, but one that's a lot more realistic. And uh, as per the future of the world comes the future of music. At this time, and this is pretty much around 1985, the 84-85, mid-80s, mid uh, came the birth of digital MIDI interfaces and musical workstations, at least better ones that were more portable. And I think, uh, with given it's a new way of recording music, I like the fact that they brought all like this synthesizer technology and what you couldn't really make with musical instruments before into this film. And it's, not to say that it's in every sci-fi film, but I think it's defined a lot of sci-fi films that have come I mean, I think it fits into the theme like I was talking about with how it's about technology and like sort of this new era of technology. So I guess that does kind of fit into the music. I didn't really think about that. I think what stuck sticks out to me sort of in um, in contrast to the to the uh, more synth style of music is um, when we first introduced to Sarah Connor, the music is like more orchestral and organic. And that it's just it sets her apart from the dark future that well, most of the music is and, and alluding the, to. Yeah, and the first thing I thought about with that, and good point on that, is that she's human. You, yeah. the, the Terminator is not human. And this is what I want to talk about next. His fucking monotone voice. The whole movie was sick. It's a robot, and I love the fact that they do that. They didn't make it sound like. I'm a robot. I'm going to sound like this. They didn't do that. Sounds they didn't Donald add Trump is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's iconic and it's a huge influence on fans, especially his very famous line of I'll be back, which has been repeated amongst us for the past two days. Um, and you may learn about that in the shorts coming up soon. More on that later.
Yeah, that's why um, I think the casting for Arnold was great. Because that's like, that's also like his typecast at some point. Like, he's just good at like the simple one-liners, like really simple English, and it, it actually just works well, really well for being a cyborg. And, and you had stated like English is not his primary language. Was he from like Austria or he's something? He's Austrian. Yeah. So. Not his primary so dialect. He's second out. most famous Austrian known to Americans. It wasn't, that wasn't me trying to like make a hit on him. It's just an observation. Oh, like. His English is kind of broken in some way, and it just works oh, really well. Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, it if works you see this episode, please come on the show. We would love to interview you. Naked. Naked. Well, not now, because he's like 70-something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't want to. Okay. I saw a huge contrast, by the way. It's kind of the other end of the scale here for music, uh, like music development and instrument use. On one end of it, we've had the entire film, especially the chase scenes with that amazing... MIDI done inst uh, musical workstation soundtrack with synthesizers. You know what I'm talking about. You're talking about like at the midpoint where they're in. Yeah, the, um... like when he's following them in the police car with the shotgun. Oh, okay. Like, no, I thought you were talking about. Um, I'll save that for when we get to it. But I thought you were talking about a different scene. But yeah, that was and, very and good I'll, too. I'll, yeah, and I'll bring I'll bring up the the police station scene later. Uh, Please but, do. But uh, on the other end of the scale is actual instrument use, such as timpani and bass drum <sighs> a sense of presence is definitely felt by the terminator and the audience experiencing the terminator with that bass drum in the background the four hits every what two seconds right no, I, I i mentioned um it's an iconic theme i, I mentioned this building tension throughout the movie and i think yeah. the music does so much to mm. establish that right from the get-go and it's very well done i think that's what drew in a lot of money especially given the budget for this film. I, I think one thing that I noticed early on was just the fact that you know those kind of lower tones that they use for Arnold's scenes it's such a subtle thing that I think sh sh shows us the contrast of tone between Arnold and Sarah and even Reese uh, better than any visual actually could I, I think so in that stuff well, and scenes where all three of them were on screen, such as chase scenes, you couldn't hear that drum anymore because it wasn't uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's presence that was like the high mm -hmm. cast of this, and it was more like everyone was focused on Sarah and Kyle Reese trying to escape from their lives, and I think it's more of like a sense of importance. I feel like when that drum theme is on screen, it's like yes, he is the most important character and the scariest. Mm. But it, it 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 works well with the audience, and I think that's what people want to listen for if they're audi audible, audio critical. So so you alluded to the midpoint of the movie in the police station, which from a story perspective is like the makes it real for Sarah Connor, removes all doubt that this is real and that she cannot wake up from the nightmare. I love when she and Reese reunite, and we get that absolute banging midi track keyboard track coming in as they escape the police station which is on fire yes it's such a good track for like establishing the midpoint and the hopeful feeling of we have a second chance we can escape we can actually do this and i know alex has said that apparently you can't find a clean recording of that track from the original movie and i'm so mad because that was the song that i heard that made me just think i gotta hear the soundtrack i'll listen to this uh, and actually, you brought up the police station scene. It's in this exact scene. Uh, <laughs> the car crashing into the, into the building was not only hilarious, but very well done. When he gets out and he starts the shooting rampage, I noticed something, and I think I can tie this back to every other scene he's had a gun, including like all of the 
execution style walk into the house and murder the lady standing there scenes. The guns are not realistic at all and I love it so much. When you hear the, it's, it's the silver pistol with the red laser and he mm -hmm. shoots the older lady who claims she's like a Sarah Connor but not the one he's looking for. It's like, it's very like future but without the laser sound. It's a, it's a shotgun sound essentially and I kind of question why they added that but it's just a sense of epicness. I don't think I would call it a shotgun sound. Um, well, it's definitely not a pistol sound. It's, it's not really any kind of gun sound, really. <laughs> insert I, generic gun honestly, sound. Honestly, I have to say, I think the gun point, the guns overall were weak point of the movie for me. Um, less on the audio side because I wasn't paying a ton of attention to that, but even mm -hmm. a little bit of an aside here, the visuals. If you've ever fired a shotgun, like a 12 gauge shotgun, that motherfucker kicks <laughs> so hard. And I'm cool with the Terminator because he's a machine, not having like any recoil. Kickback. No recoil. But if Reese is using one hand to fire a sawed-off, sawed-stock shotgun out a car window, good luck hitting anything. <laughs> I, w I honestly wonder, obviously, budget reasons. I honestly wonder if this is a way to, like, downplay the violence in the movie. Just from a way of, like, well, we're not going to... I mean, because a lot of people die in this movie. Maybe it's, maybe it's their way of... Uh, both from an audio and a visual standpoint, just making it almost seem like a toy. Maybe that's a stupid take. That's just something uh, I thought about. Maybe. I don't think that was the intent, but it's an interesting read. Back to audio, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on a couple things, especially, like, the, the tech sounds of the Terminator itself, which overall I really liked, except for one thing. In the final scene, the Terminator is fully exposed, his metal endoskeleton. Skeleton. The sounds of his feet on the ground are so freaking lame. It's like little clink, clink. You know what it's clink. the sounds of? The little puppet that they were dragging on the fucking pavement, probably. And you know what? He, he's a big like Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big man, and that's a big hunk of metal. It should be fucking like banging on the ground, clanking, scraping. It should be intimidating. And the rest of the sound design in that scene is phenomenal, but that's just one thing really just ruined my immersion. You think that could have been from budget restrictions? Well, probably. Like, they just but... didn't have enough money left in the budget to have some folly artists come in and say, like, yeah, slam some heavy metal shit against the ground so I, we can I, record I it, it for because, foot you know, noises. It doesn't cost much to do fully, as yeah. far as I know, and I think that was just a little bit of weak sound design. But could, could have sounded more like yeah. the bigger machines in the movie, too. Like, yeah. could have they, even if they exaggerated it. I, I, I want to reel back on saying it ruined my immersion. It absolutely did not ruin my immersion, but it did stand out to me as like a weaker point of the overall sound design in the film. And I just, I'm with, I want to hear your thoughts on that too, which you've given me. I don't know what you guys take because I'm not the video person here. On as much as I know, it was probably just time and effects and how we didn't really have the weight of CGI yet, but the stop motion animation for the endoskeleton. This is something I didn't bring up in our discussion. I love practicals. And I love that they use practicals in this movie. And honestly, even though stop motion is kind of, mm, I still love it. I, I think care. it's only janky in the shots where we see the um, Sarah and Kyle with yeah, the Terminator. The rest of that. it is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, not really the compositing. It's more the the frame rate of the uh, that's stop true. motion is pretty janky. Well, but the rest of it's great. The, I love the close up shots. I mean, like the the yeah the close ups where it's like puppetry stuff. I don't know if Stan Winston did the stop motion too, but Stan Winston at least I'm pretty sure he made the the models for it. Which 
I like Stan Winston. After his legs are blown off, so like when they're both crawling towards the finish line, as you put it, it gives, it, it's more like, now it's kind of shifting to more of the horror aspect that uh, IMPD says this film is also kind of. Uh, the first IMPD? off- IMPD? No, I said IMPD. I heard I, I, Internet I, I, Movie IMDb. Database, IMDB. I heard um, IMPD. Whatever. Movie Database. And this gets a lot more into the horror element, and I like this a lot. Uh, questioning whether or not it's like it's dead and then no 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 the torso is still very much alive and it just jumps right at her and with an instant like violin uh, cello string screech like mm. they're taking that bow and <laughs> what you hear on chalkboard when you scrape it metal. oh yes and yeah. that definitely I think like I said though that's leaning more towards the horror side of how Google describes this film and I absolutely love that, especially as like a final last ditch moment of the film and how scary it can be. It's like, it's alive! And it, it adds more suspense and more drama. And I think that ties the film together towards the ending of why like the Terminator's last stand is so epic as it is. Well, the future sure does sound bright, except for this one because it was terrible. Now I'm going to go back to my apartment and get some ice cream. What is this apartment thing? All right, we're back from audio notes, and it's time to discuss what we learned from the movie. I think I went first last time, so you go. All right. There was a lot of lessons that I sort of debated taking away from this movie, but the one I want to talk about is exposition in a movie. To me, this movie has perfect exposition. It's not the only movie with perfect. I'm not saying it's the best movie that's ever had exposition, but on its own merits, this movie has fantastic or, as I said, perfect exposition. Kind of repeating myself here. Anyways, the movie begins with only the only block of exposition we get is just um, a vague paragraph, not even like a full paragraph almost, of just saying the future is bad, but the battle will be fought in our day. And we have to figure things out or kind of guess at the beginning. It's a great way to kind of more put us in the perspective of Sarah Connor rather than Reese and the Terminator of trying to figure out what's happening with these characters and what they're doing. And then I'd say when Reese and Sarah Connor first sit together in like the car in the parking garage, that's when they get to give us more exposition. But that's like almost at the midpoint of the movie when we really get our first major exposition dump. Right. And then Onwards from that point, we get more and more exposition, but it feels very natural, and they never give us something that we don't need to know. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's kind of everything I have to say about that. It's just don't give your audience more than they need to know, and I think that there's a misconception that exposition is bad and that opening text crawls or whatever are bad in film, but that's not necessarily true. You just have to give them enough to understand the context to get what the scenario is. And then once you already have the audience along for the ride, they're going to accept the exposition you give them as long as it's not crap. There's something to be said about the genres, too, because like I, this is a note that I heard early on that we expect different things. Like in sci-fi, if an, if an audience knows that it's a sci-fi movie, they're going to be more forgiving anyway. Um, it all depends on when it makes sense. But, yeah, I don't, I don't ever think this movie felt super forced in that aspect which is pretty good sort of the way we use genre to code our media yes yeah there you go so my lesson from this movie was something i figured out the first time or i came up with it the first time um 
it's how to make editing invisible. And again, another thing that could be applied to a lot of movies, but I really paid attention to it this time. Um, how editing all really depends on the context. That could be the character, it could be the emotion, it could be the type of scene it is, and how it kind of becomes invisible if it's done well. And the examples that I first saw were um, when they cut back and forth between Arnold killing the first Sarah Connor and Linda Hamilton Sarah Connor in the restaurant, with that scene with Arnold, there's only like a couple cuts, like the shots are longer because he's a slower moving, kind of like camera moves in a way. He's slower moving, except when he shoots the, the girl. Um, and then Sarah, on the other hand, she's waiting this table. There's some asshole kid putting like ice cream or something in her pocket. She spilled something. And those are faster cuts. But it's not something that we're really noticing as an audience. And I just think in general, um, editing's ability to be invisible and kind of be in our subconscious in a way. Because in the, ch the car chase scene, um, after they were in the parking garage and Arnold like found them and they drove out, um, there's no shot that lasts more than three seconds. In, in for like a stretch of a minute. And in any other case, that would be like, you know, disorienting or hypnotic. Like, oh, I can't handle all that. But because it's a film and it's because it's in that context of an action scene, it's so seamless to us. And I don't know. This film just really made me think about how editing is invisible. I think um, action movies in general are very often... Um, they very often display some of the best editing in movies in that car chase scene where they're firing shotgun blasts off each other. The cuts are led and um, motivated by the guns firing and not only hides the effects, the budget. it draws us right into that moment. It's shocking every time a gun blast goes off. Right. So I think this movie did that exceptionally well, and I'm really glad I noticed it. That is, uh, that's our lesson from Terminator. I actually really liked my lesson this week. I felt pretty strong about it. So that's what we learned from Terminator. Um, but we're not all done yet. We have to, we have to sit with Joey. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for us to sit back and uh, look on with humor, confusion, and a little bit of horror as our like uh, this movie. Yeah, as our <laughs> favorite irreverent critic of art, the media, and our own our own selves picks apart this movie with a hacksaw. Take it away, Joey. Hey guys. Hey, well, welcome to Funny Notes. Hey guys, welcome to Funny Notes. Welcome. So I so I so I forgot to put a title on here, so I just I think I'll just call it Blade Runner. First, no. Uh, love the scenes of the future in this film. The music director. Oh, shit, wrong things. Oh, shit, fuck. <laughs> fuck that. Shit. What? He just tore up my notes. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> Los Angeles is in for the great cooling after the Apple Pyramid. <laughs> Blue hubba bubba bubble tape. <laughs> Cars have rubber wheels. Why are you getting out of the car when there's lightning around? That is how you. That how. That's how. That's how you absorb. Rubber absorbs lightning. This guy just wants to die. We're rolling back the tape here. Hold on. That's not why cars keep you safe from lightning, Joey. That's not how that works, Joey. Rubber is a conductor of That's electricity. Um, girl, Ryan, think titties. <laughs> Am I just a sexual animal? Is that the joke? <laughs> Women want simple-minded men who, who talk sweet nothings into their ear. Big fucking green guy, yes! Fuckies have to pay, Chad's get in for free. 
<laughs> Young cop is all, got all virgin. <laughs> Will she f the baby? What? What the fuck? I thought it, I thought it was like probably some like theory that I was thinking it wasn't like the guy. Wait, do you think that Kyle Reese was her son? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, Dan dislikes rit sledding. Rit. <laughs> also, the last one I have on here is called Classy Glasses. <laughs> Who wears glasses? The Terminator. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey guys, I'm 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 producing limits now. Not for these ones. Not for the girl ones. See, look, girl, guy. Which one was funnier? Tell me which one was funnier, the girl ones or the guy? This has been the most degrading sense of stupidity ever. I think I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> and I'm I've gotta I gotta think. Jesus. No, I'm gonna go back in time to prevent myself from being born not to deal with this. Okay, so that's Terminator. I gotta be honest, I didn't really love it the first watching, but on the second watching, I really appreciate it a lot more. Um, and I had a lot more to write than American Psycho, which kind of surprised me. Um, overall, I really like Terminator. I, um, I was very surprised by how good this movie was. Um, and I totally see now why it has spawned so many sequels. There's a lot of material to work with in this universe and these characters. And I will absolutely um, watch T2 yeah. after this and maybe some of the other ones, but I've heard they're not as good. I do want to say as kind of an aside, this is almost like a long um, bit of um, payoff because when I was a little kid, a lot of my friends loved these movies. I remember on like the playground they'd always talk about Terminator movies I had no freaking clue what they were talking about and now as I was watching this movie I was like seeing the little bits they picked up on I'm like oh I get it I get it now so that was kind of satisfied my little kid brain that so exists somewhere in this um box of gray matter so our next movie is I wouldn't say it's a little bit of a left turn it's you it's know something different more more in the vein of American Psycho than uh Terminator a movie I think is absolutely fantastic. Another classic bit of cinema, although more drawn from the 90s than the 80s this time. So Which we're makes, jumping a decade. Makes me excited. Okay, until that time, we will see you all. Bye-bye.